Recently, my cousin took her final vows into a Franciscan order, the Sisters of St. Francis of the Martyr St. George. At the ceremony, Bishop Paprocki wore a pointy hat. That hat, which bishops wear for official rites and ceremonies, is called a mitre. It kind of looks like a pair of blades taken from the end of a spade or shovel, made out of cloth, and sewn together. These pointy mitres are common to all Catholic bishops in the western half of the church, while Eastern Catholic bishops have a mitre, which has more of a shape resembling a muffin. But throughout the centuries, the popes, after being selected among the bishops to head the universal church, wore neither shovels nor muffins, but donned a unique headdress all their own. In this episode, we will trek through the history of this unique piece of pontifical headwear, the papal tiara. God bless America. God love you. I want these to be my first words of greeting to you. They will be the concluding words on each broadcast. I am not the Catholic candidate for president. I am the Democratic Party's candidate for president. Annuncio Opis, Gaudium Abemus Papam. You've embarked on a Catholic history trek. There's some debate on the exact origin of the papal tiara. The earliest recorded documentation traces it back to at least the 8th century, although some traditions place it all the way back to the time of the apostles. The Liber Pontificalis, or Book of the Popes, is a chronological listing of the biographies of the popes from St. Peter into the late 9th century, with later editions stretching into the mid-15th century. In this book, Pope Constantine I, who reigned in the early 8th century, was noted as wearing a camelicum, which is described as made of white stuff and shaped like a helmet. While a camelicum is more of a tight-fitting skullcap, similar to a winter hat, the Pope's head covering quickly evolved into a conical shape, more representative of a Phrygian cap, which was a conical cap worn in the Greco-Roman world, having originated in Eastern Europe and Asia Minor. By the 9th century, it seems the dimensions of the tiara made it round and pointed, as if designed to fit the heads of Beldar, Primat, or Connie, the three cone heads, from the Saturday Night Live skits of the late 1970s. By the 10th century, the papal coins of Pope Sergius III and Pope Benedict VII featured the pontiff donning this conical-shaped tiara. Tradition holds that this tiara was not so much of an everyday hat worn by the popes, but was only used in the coronation of a new pope when it would be solemnly placed upon their head during the ceremony. But by the 12th century, the popes also began to wear it for solemn occasions and occasions of state. Again, turning to the Liber Pontificalis, the first usage of the word tiara, makes its appearance in describing the headpiece worn by Pope Paschal II in the early 12th century. What began as a simple cap of soft white linen evolved into materials of silk and embroidery. And the shape developed from the locomelicum to the conical version of the Phrygian and eventually to more of a rounded, pointed, beehive sort of shape, which became the standard for future tiaras. Around the 11th century or so, a narrow band of white linen encircled the base of the tiara. It's unknown if this band was intended to be symbolic of a crown or merely decorative, but the color of the band eventually became gold and was eventually replaced by the next development of the tiara, the addition of a metal crown. 
According to Herbert Norris's book, Church Vestments, Their Origin and Development, one tradition dates the addition of the papal crown to Pope Hermistus in 514, who had a coronet added to his tiara, while another tradition mentioned in his book places the crown a few years earlier, claiming that Clovis, king of the Franks, presented the pope with a gold crown adorned with gems upon the suggestion of St. Remigius. There's also a tradition that the crown originated in the 8th century based on artwork from that time period showing the popes topped with their cone-shaped hats ornamented with a small crown at the base. But these traditions notwithstanding, which can't be easily substantiated, the typical dating of the addition of the crown is the early 12th century when it was added to show the church's sovereignty over the papal states. And for more on the history of the often contested papal states, Kevin and I have an episode on that very topic, episode 40. In 1301, a second crown was added to the tiara by Pope Boniface VIII. This came about because of a conflict between the Pope and Philip IV, King of France. Their conflict was regarding who held spiritual and temporal authority as God's representative on earth. By adding the second crown, Pope Boniface VIII was declaring his spiritual authority trumped any temporal authority exercised by the king. The popes added many precious stones to the tiara, with one account listing 42 large sapphires, 66 large pearls, 48 rubies, 45 emeralds, and many other smaller rubies and emeralds. At one point in their conflict, King Philip levied taxes on the French clergy, equal to one half of their annual income. Outraged at this, the Pope responded by issuing a papal bull, Clericis Laecos, forbidding the transference of any church property to the French crown. Pope Boniface VIII died in 1303, and two years later, the king was able to arrange for the election of Pope Clement V, who is something of a puppet pope for the king. Philip IV was able to persuade this new pope to move the papacy to Avignon, where the king could more easily control him and Philip was also able to influence Clement V to issue a bull dissolving the Knights Templar. But more on the Knights Templar in a future episode on the history of the military orders of the church. Pope John XXII followed the pliable Pope Clement V as the second of the Avignon popes. After the death of John XXII, the cardinals held a conclave in December of 1334 to elect his replacement. Upon the commencement of the conclave, one cardinal was the odds-on favor to be selected and all but assured of exiting as the new pope. But there was a catch. Most of the cardinals wanted the papacy to remain in Avignon. But the man who was selected to succeed John XXII refused to promise to remain in Avignon. So the cardinals quickly dumped him as a viable candidate. Instead, they selected the obscure and unwealthy Cardinal Jacques Fournier, who is a Cistercian monk and abbot, who had recently been promoted to the rank of bishop and then cardinal by Pope John XXII. Fournier was essentially a nobody among the self-esteemed elites who elected him confident they could bend him to their whims. In 1335, he became the next pope taking the name Benedict XII. And to the disappointment of the cardinals, he immediately resolved to reestablish the seat of the papacy at Rome. But in the 14th century, northern and central Italy were broken into a hodgepodge of many city-states who were not only warring with each other, but also with the Holy Roman Empire. Because of the dangerous situation, the cardinals were finally able to convince him to remain in Avignon, 
although he did briefly consider a compromise of establishing his court in Bologna before ultimately remaining in Avignon and building the massive papal castle, which still exists there today. Pope Benedict XII was a reformer who attempted to clean up many of the vices which plagued the hierarchy, and as a Cistercian, also sought to revive monastic fervor. As a learned theologian, he resolved the erroneous opinions regarding the beatific vision which his predecessor John XXII had stirred up. Regarding our episode on the papal tiara, Benedict XII struggled to break free from the political maneuverings of the King of France, who frustrated the Pope's attempts at making peace with Emperor Louis of Bavaria and who thwarted his efforts to arrange a crusade against the infidels by using his kingdom's resources to instead make war against fellow Catholics in England. In an act of defiance against the intrusive King of France in 1342, Pope Benedict XII added a third crown to the papal tiara, only 41 years after the second crown had been added, for pretty much the same reason. While some have speculated on the exact meaning of the third crown and have proposed theories such as symbolizing the Pope's authority over the church militant, church suffering, church triumphant, or symbolizing the role of Christ as priest, prophet, king, the three crowns encircling the silver tiara have generally been considered a representation of the three powers of the Pope as sacred orders, jurisdiction, and magisterium. And the addition of the third crown also represented the Pope's position of authority over all secular monarchs who only wore a single crown, such as the King of France. Although not willing to be outdone by the Popes, the 16th century Muslim ruler Suleiman I had a four-tiered crown created. The fourth crown was clearly symbolic of Suleiman's desire to crush both the Pope and Christendom, a desire which was thwarted by the heroic efforts of Christian soldiers, some of whom have been covered in previous episodes of Catholic History Trek. The Pope's triple tiara, or triregnum, as it's also called, became the official head topper at papal coronations for the next 600 years, but that all changed with the papacy of Pope Paul VI. And, if any pope was to halt that tradition, it wouldn't be too much of a surprise that the pope responsible for ushering in the new mass was the pope who got rid of the papal tiara. The triple tiara was used during his coronation in 1963, but after one of the sessions of the Second Vatican Council, he descended from his papal throne in St. Peter's Basilica, went up to the altar, and placed the tiara on the altar. From that point forward, he opted to use the mitre of a bishop, symbolically demoting himself from the status which the triregnum represented. An official statement was released by the Vatican at the time, stating, The Roman Catholic Church has always shown its charity toward the poor. Pope Paul VI has wanted to give new proof of this charity. After hearing the many and grave words expressed in the Council on the misery and hunger of these days, the tiara went on tour and was then sold to raise funds for the poor. The tiara was sold to Catholics in the United States and was then presented to the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C., where it has been on display since 1968. Both the coronation tiara of Pope Paul VI and the papal stole of Pope John XXIII, which he wore at the opening of the Second Vatican Council, are on display in Memorial Hall in the lower crypt of the Basilica. Although Pope Paul VI abandoned his tiara when he updated the ceremony for electing a new pope in his apostolic constitution, 
Romano Pontifici Elegando in 1975, he did not remove the coronation with the papal tiara from the ceremony. But when his successor, Pope John Paul I, was elected, he opted not to receive a tiara at all, but simply received the pallium and wore bishop's mitre. In 1996, Pope John Paul II also updated the ceremony in his document, Universi Dominici Grigis, in which the coronation was simply renamed to the Inauguration of the Petrine Ministry. So where does that leave us today in 2022? Although the papal tiara was abandoned by Pope Paul VI and his successors, it was not formally suppressed or forsaken, and a new pope, at any point, could revive the ancient tradition. And the symbol of the triregnum with the two keys of St. Peter remains the symbol of the papacy, appearing on papal documents, papal buildings, the papal coat of arms, and also the Vatican flag. Today, there are 22 papal tiaras still in existence, all of them triregnum, with the three crowns. The oldest of these is from 1572, and of these surviving triple tiaras, Pope Paul VI is the only one on display outside of Italy. While the modern popes have abandoned the tradition of the papal tiara, Kevin and I have retained the tradition of ending each of our episodes of Catholic History Trek with a prayer in the Church's historic language of Latin. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, Sicuturat in Principio et Nunc et Semper, et in Saecula Saeculorum. Amen. Thank you for listening to Catholic History Trek. You can reach us at catholichistorytrek at gmail.com.